0: My guest for today's episode is Pancham Prasher. Pancham is one of the co-founders at QBlocks, one of its kind technology and marketing agency based in Chandigarh. If you're an agency owner and looking for ideas to grow your digital marketing or technology agency, I highly recommend you listen to this conversation. And also check out QBlocks.com to get a sense of how this agency is different from all the stereotypical agencies and ID companies you might have seen. I had the opportunity to work with Pancham closely for close to two years and it was a life-changing experience. When I thought of starting a podcast, Pancham was right up there on the list of people I'd like to interview. The biggest lesson I learned from Pancham is that one doesn't have to be an asshole to do well in life and neither have to outsmart people to make a good living. I can be honest, ethical and kind and still do well for myself. In fact, if I rewind the clock, meeting Pancham was just what the doctor would have advised me to help me fix many broken areas of my life. It's very hard to meet Pancham and not be charmed by his simplicity and intellect. Pancham is a vegan and total health nerd. I've run many half-marathons with him, something I hope to cover in my future conversations. In this particular episode, that is part one of our long discussion, we speak about topics including how he positioned QBlocks with his two business partners to charge a high premium rate of as high as $60 an hour, which by the way is at least twice as compared to other companies in India, how to build a lasting relationship with clients, what framework he uses for decision making, how he with his partners built such a strong company culture and many other things that I'm sure will help you live a better life and also grow your business. So without further ado, let's dive into my conversation with none other than Pancham Prasher. I hope you enjoy it. This is your host, Volkitar Stogi, and welcome to our podcast. I can hear you. How are you?
1: I'm very good. I'm very good. Good to finally see you.
0: Congratulations! Thank you so much. Thank you, and <laughs> congratulations. You can explain why you're congratulating me <laughs> for, the <baby. laughs> for the baby at the day house. Thank you. So- I know I'm gonna be following your footsteps
1: soon. Yes,
0: interested. I'm really look for- looking forward to the news from your side.
1: <laughs> yeah, any moment now. Yeah, I think maybe another ten days or so. for a week, ten days more. I'm just trust. <laughs> Let's see.
0: Yeah, yeah. Celebration. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: Really, really,
0: really. How's pandemic treating you? Where you here in the office right now?
1: I'm in the office. Yeah, I came here and some work, and I thought I will also.
0: Uh,
1: nice. Internet connection is a little bit better here, so it's
0: okay. Be, just, okay. Here. So how's your routine in the pen- pandemic? Do you go to office daily?
1: Yeah, I think we are. You know, what we've done is we've uh, allowed only a handful of people to be in the office. So there are about five, seven people at any one in time and any meetings that we're having are happening here in the office. But I think most of the people are working from home. And I think we'll continue like that at least till December, January. Till there's, you you know, more news that it's safer, maybe the vaccine comes out. Although I have my opinion on vaccines and, you know, how effective they really are. Um, it's a um, it's a different discussion altogether. But, <laughs> I know, I know. It's safety of vaccines. Yeah, it's a different thing altogether.
0: Yes, yes, I know. But anything, anything any good news now is this area of hope for us for humanity, because it's been a while. <laughs> that is
1: there, yeah. But I think it's also it's going to come back again. Is, uh, if if you know we are not really careful, there is there is a bigger, greater uh, pandemic which is just looming around the corner. So there was H one N one. There's another one, which is some H9 something, which is, uh, you know, fatality rate of about 40, 45%, you know, which is, which is even more crazy. For example, here it is much lesser with uh, COVID-19 and it's all happening with the way these animals are treated and how humans have actually become closer to, you know, these wet markets and it's all coming back.
0: It's it's crazy. I I saw the video of uh, Bill Gates which he, I think, it was a TED talk he did five years ago, and he predicted everything that this is going to happen and it happened. Right. That almost Dr. Michael
1: Greger, yeah. If you look at Dr. Michael Greger on Nutrition Facts, he uh, <coughs> took out a video about, uh, I think, about 12 odd years back, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. So there, uh, he laid out exactly what would happen, really. And he's a guy who's not really, you know, very commercially driven. In fact, he's probably one of the most uh, people I would say, he runs this organization with no money involved, doesn't get a salary. Uh, Bill Gates, you can still say he's got a pony in the game. there's the, so, you know, there are various conspiracy theories around him as well. So that's, that's another discussion.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we can go in many directions, Panjum. but with you, when I was doing my homework, for our discussion today. And I was thinking we can go in so many directions when I'm talking to you. We can talk about health and fitness, which I know for a fact that it is your favorite topic right now because you've done a lot of research. You've been very actively promoting good health, good health practices. But I thought if we go in that direction, I really want to dig in as a layman because I am not even close to what you have, uh, the kind of knowledge you have uh, gathered about uh, health and fitness. I have attended some of your Seminars and they were very very helpful. So when I when you talk about health, I want to only focus about health. Right now, my homework that, that I've done is all about business. Like right. I shared, my audience, my small audience, my students, they are mostly curious to know, hear right now from uh, people like yourself about how they started their their business and what they are doing, and what are their habits practices that they do. So I have. So let's go keep in the direction. And let's hopefully we'll have another discussion of great <laughs> yeah. about him. Yeah, and I'll be more prepared for those questions. But I won't, I won't ask you good questions. I don't want to ask you stupid questions.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. Totally. I, you, you've never asked stupid questions. I think you're very inquisitive as a person. That's what uh, comes across every time we've had an interaction. So even if it is impromptu, I'm sure you'll have questions which are, you know, which are very important. So but so yeah, let's stick to let's yeah. stick to this particular topic for this time round
0: yeah Yeah. so Benjamin, i think a uh, good good place to start I is think
1: as well, sorry, uh, for, sorry if you can just see a quick Aya Hoda. did you get a request for in zoom
0: i haven't uh,
1: okay. I've accepted. Because i have already request record permission from
0: the i think what's happening is we have two meetings going on so we can only be in one meeting so i think i'm recording oh. That should be fine, I think. Okay. No. Yeah, so let's hope for the best. I have a uh, backup recording just in case if this doesn't work. At least we'll have audio recording.
1: <laughs> okay,
0: cool. <laughs> <laughs> I want to start with asking a question that I've never asked you. Let me close my WhatsApp. It'll keep bugging me. Okay. So, question I want to ask you is about your childhood. Uh, because I've asked you all sorts of questions, we never got into that area. How were you raised as a kid, and uh, how was your parenting like? And uh, yeah, so if you can start by telling me about your childhood.
1: Yeah, so my my father was serving in the Indian Army, and uh, he he retired as a colonel. And uh, the army life was, you know, the pillarstone of how we've grown as you, know, me, and my brother have grown as as individuals. I think it's a fantastic life. Anybody who's a faji kid would understand this. And anytime you kind of leave the army life as a kid and you move out in the civil life, there's usually a stage of cultural shock, which took me about two years to settle in life outside. Because there, there are some differences that, you know, I felt. And, you know, I think my dad had a role to play more in terms of just giving us a, a lot of discipline, a lot of heroic stories because he was the army man and he would instill that in, in a lot of us. And I think my mom, she had a a bigger influence in terms of raising her spiritual quotient a lot. I think both my mom and dad were very spiritually inclined as people. And right from the very beginning, I think there was focus on treating people right. What are the values that matter? What's the end stage of life? You know, know, talks about my being of service, right? So I, I think that kind of has stayed with us throughout. But it was a very, I think it was a very beautiful childhood in terms of what army gave us and what, you know, mom and dad were able to do together with the army life every two years three years we had to be posted to some some portion some part of india that forced us as kids to from a very young age to you know start making new friends get acclimatized to a new environment new school i think that makes you very resilient and very flexible as a person and i think that kind of helped out so it was i think we had a privileged uh, lifestyle it wasn't like they were but there was also a lot of focus on not taking things for granted you know With the army, you get a lot of facilities, but how you treat that is, again, uh, what is instilled very, you know, very properly in most of the army kids. Uh, So I think that that culture of, you know, valuing your country and the good part about army and armed forces is that they're very cut off from having any influence on the civil life. So there's less corruption. There's no vested interest that they would be interfering with anybody outside. So as a result, it remains very isolated. And very different as a as an organization as compared to others where there is an interaction and there are chances of more perhaps corruption and more interaction with with people. So I think that kind of really helped out. And I think when uh, after my tenth was done and I moved and we settled here in Chandigarh, eleventh and twelfth two years in Chandigarh it took to just you know get used to that life and there was massive cultural shock really. But then it turned out all right. Yeah.
0: Where you posted? Where was Uncle posted before your tenth and eleventh?
1: So, we were in the last posting. From before we came to Chandigarh, we were posted in Hisar. Dad was posted in Hisar. And then his last posting was in Babina. So, he went to Babina. And uh, we were in Chandigarh for about one and odd years before he retired. And he, uh, So, the last posting he wanted us to do before he went Man
0: there. John, I have notification on. I think it's, bu- it's uh, buzzing. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Now and then. It'll be loud for people who are hearing this on their headphones.
1: <laughs> right, right, right.
0: Yeah.
1: Now you shouldn't be hearing it.
0: Okay, so I did not know that you. So I, 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 it makes sense now. A lot of discipline that I've seen I see in you comes from the way you were raised as an, as a kid of an army man, and I so wish, Panjim. I don't wish it for myself that I was was an army man, but I always, when I look at Parth, my son, and I want him to be more disciplined. I, I now wish that I wish I was an army man. I was more disciplined to put him into discipline because the challenge about. Asking your kid to be disciplined is that you cannot tell them anything until you yourself do them I and mean, kids, uh, these are very smart, they'll immediately point you. Ki, papa, aapne kia tha. Okay. So it's very hard to discipline your kids and uh, until you're not disciplined. And I am, okay. I'm nowhere near to uh, be raised like uh, in an army environment. We used okay. to wake up at uh, whatever time we wanted. I mean, my papa was very chilled out. He allowed me to make all the mistakes. He gave me all the freedom, whatever I wanted to do. And his father, never, my grandfather did not put him into a lot of discipline. Not that my painting wasn't good. I was very loved as a kid. I know. And uh, there are a lot of good things about my painting. But discipline is definitely hasn't been my strength as a kid. Something I have to work my way as I grow old and I feel it's good. Uh, to be raised like uh, like you've been, because once you're young, uh, you develop the habit much sooner and then as compared to now, you have to break the habits, the bad habits and then develop new habits. There's a challenge. I think also,
1: you, you're right. Also, what is interesting is that when you're in an ecosystem where everybody is doing it, when everybody gets up in the morning as an officer or, you know, as part of the armed forces. There is PT in the morning. You see them getting up early in the morning, going there for about two hours, come back home, have the breakfast, get ready, go to office. And there's evening PT as well. And there is socialization in the on some days. You meet everybody and there's, there's a lot of uh, camaraderie and one homie between all the families and, and people. I, I think in such an environment, it's easier to, you know, when you have live examples of people around you and there is a culture of uh, taking care of yourself, taking care of fitness, being a certain way, and I think that somehow, even if you don't want, there is some portion of it that will rub off on you, and you won't even realize, and you know when you when you become older, you realize, yeah, yeah, these are things that you know I can understand, even if you kind of go off rail, it's easy to get back on track because that's what you've seen for about fifteen, twenty years of your life when you are a pugy kid,
0: yeah, it's just like when we learn swimming and like we learn cycling, it's hard to forget few things uh, yeah, you know? absolutely. <laughs> What did you want to become as a kid when you were a small kid? Did you have any aspirations? I
1: thought, you know what, I think um, now that I think of it, it's, it was mostly the, uh, the expectations of others, really. You know, some, you know, uh, just being in the army, I thought, you know, I'll get into the army because that's the only life I knew at that time. My dad used to say, you know, you should be, IAS IS, is really good, administrative services. So at one point in time, I would say, you know, okay, I want to be an IAS officer. But in the heart of God, you know, this is what I really, really wanted to do. So, you know, uh, somebody would ask, you want to I want to be an army officer. Or probably I want to be, at later on, I remember when I was in my 9th, 10th, 11th, I would say, you know, I want to be an IAS officer. But it, but I said to clear clear really ki no, ki this is exactly what I want
0: to do. Yeah. In those days we are very confident we should say, I want to be an IES um, um, officer. For example, chemical engineers, just be a chemical engineer because one of my, my father's friend, he ran a big industrial plant and he told him probably that chemical engineers are very highly paid. So I tried to spend a lot of time understanding chemistry I told a lot of people that I want to be a chemical <laughs> yeah. engineer, but inside I knew a chemistry, I didn't know anything. So it took me a lot of hits and trials, but I think by the time I was in my twenties, twenty, in my twenties, when I started spending time with my dad, I used to sit with him on our jewelry shop. I learned quickly then that I, the only thing I can do, I think, is be a good businessman. Learn from my dad, from my grandfather. I think right, it's right. the legacy. I want to take it forward. But until twenties, I was also very confused. What do I want to do? And.
1: Like get uh, sorry I'm, I'm interrupting you there but uh-huh. I, I also feel that you know there are there's too much pressure on you know trying to figure out Kia, what do you really want to become you know these are these questions that we end up asking our kids you know they I think a lot of youngsters go through it as well and sometimes they have to come up with an answer maybe you know they're not ready at that point in time they are still exploring maybe whatever exposure they have seen that's their only worldview perhaps when they go out somewhere and they'll see other things, you know, that might suit them better. Maybe that is what's going to really fire them up from the inside. And will change was up there? Not many people are like Sachin Tendulkar who were born perhaps or they were, you know, molded in a way yeah. to become actually cricketers. Yeah. Right. But, and I think that's okay. There's you know, people can change uh, their careers as well. You know, you know, we necessarily wouldn't be in digital marketing for the rest of our lives. You know, we wouldn't necessarily be doing only this kind of work. You know, if, if there is an inspiration... And there is a need to kind of be something else. Thankfully, in today's day and age, we can do it. You know, we don't have a bond with a certain government organization that we have to be with them till 60s, right? Or whatever is the retirement uh, time. So I think there's a, there's a lot of flexibility as long as, you know, you you know yourself and you allow yourself the, uh, the freedom to even say that, you know, I don't know what I want to do really. I'm going to focus on my skills. I'm going to try and get as much experience where it experiences possible. And then I'll see how things are and uh, it's okay to say that I feel rather than just pretending and saying I want to be an IS officer, which I used to do and I didn't become an IS officer. Right? Yeah, so, I, I think uh,
0: it's a question that people should stop asking their kids. It's very hard as a kid because when we are studying something, we don't know whether we will be good at it. It also depends on the teacher, how they're teaching it, whether we get the concepts or not. So there's so many variables that it's, the question is not even valid. And the other thing which I feel is like you said, we should allow each other to change their mind. I mean, when someone asked me about me that do aise tha? yeah, you were like that five years ago. You were like that five years ago. change kar liya. Change my mind. Uh, Actually, toh, how can you change your mind? On, such a thing, <laughs> so I tell them I change as a person. My experiences I experience new things every day. I learn books, I read, I see other people doing things. And I change my mind. So, what's the problem of me? Why am I not allowed to change my mind? You can change your mind, I'll never ask you, I'll never complain that you will evolve as a person. So, I think that freedom should always be there. If I mean for a healthy person to uh, be a good learner, I think that that is important. I think
1: people are kind of afraid or parents are afraid if they don't know, then they'll not be having any direction. I I feel rather than trying to find an answer that somebody would say, this is what I want to be and giving a false sense of clarity. Even if somebody says, you know what, I'm not sure, but I'm committed to lifelong learning. I'm committed to, uh, you know, improving as a person. And I'm also committed to giving myself that leeway to step off the gas and, you know, enjoy life in it balance whether you really go one way in a hedonistic manner and pursue other things or you yeah. become really on the other side where you you know become super focused and super tensed up balance आप, uh, yeah yeah I agree
0: and I do make claims uh, often about what I want going to do in the next two years next five years for example I might say I want to start a billion dollar company why because I want to give uh myself social accountability so that i put pressure on myself that i told people that i'm going to start a podcast so i'm doing it i i might say i want to start a billion dollar company then i'll at least make effort because i want to be true to myself i want to be socially accountable and i will also allow myself to fail i'll try my best i'll tell people uh i'll do it i'll do it it might work it may not work i'll give my hundred percent as far as i know myself because the only person who knows, did I try it hundred give my hundred percent to it? Is only me. So I think social accountability helps, but yeah, there are too many variables.
1: <laughs> no, absolutely. Uh, there's also research which says that if you are uh, if you if you announce it, for some people, what it uh, the way it works is that it tells their mind that since I've already announced it to my friends and family, uh, you feel like uh, you've almost perhaps achieved it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think. <laughs> You know, there are these tips and tricks which they may work or may not work and you have to see what works for you.
0: I agree. I agree. I, agree. I, I used to do that. So I'm very selective uh, when I say something publicly. Na? Uh, usually what happens is I do things and then tell people that I've done it. But sometimes when I see that I'm afraid of something, I'm yeah. too afraid to do something, I'll announce it because I know in my in my mind that I'm afraid of it. So I want to right. socially commit myself that I have to do it. Otherwise, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, whatever,
1: whatever works, I think whatever can push you to get there. And if that's truly what you want to get, then absolutely.
0: Okay, so much of how did the transition go from wanting to become mm-hmm. an um, IS officer as a kid, and then in your 20s, you started two blocks uh, become an entrepreneur. How did that transition go? I'd love to know that.
1: Uh, one of the one of the big influences for for me was the three and a half years that I was in this organization called ISEC. It's a student organization. It's a non-profit, uh, non-political, totally student-run, voluntary organization. And I was part of it while I was in, in in college as well, while I was you know pursuing my graduation. And that allowed me to expose myself to so many situations, which I am pretty sure would have not come my way if I hadn't joined ISEC. So that, that organization, I, I owe a lot of a lot of where I am to ISEC as an organization and the kind of exposure it gave me as a, as a young kid. And that's also true for my two other business partners, Sarthak and Avneet, who were also members of ISEC during their college. And that's how I met them, right? And what happened was that, you know, college happened, everything finished, ISEC got over and then we wanted to, you know, get into the... Settle down and get into a professional life. And then then I started working and I worked with, my first job was to work with this company called Smart Data, an excellent company based out of Chandigarh. And I worked with them for about a year and a half. I learned a lot during that time. And uh, during that time, also got a chance to dabble into something called internet marketing and SEO. This was, you know, very, very early days. Imagine 2001 during those days, right? And then, and then I uh, managed to join my second company, which was Red Alchemy or Pugmarks, that was, you know, the company that uh, I got a chance to work with. Worked very closely with Atul and uh, also Anuja. You know, I think there have been all all three of us. We managed to go very deep into digital marketing, into SEO, because it was still very new at that point in time. And then having worked there for about two and a half odd years, there was again a choice now what to do. You know, should we, you know, maybe join another company or move to another city as a personal choice. But I think then three of us, we Decided that let's stick our necks out and see if you want to get on to an entrepreneurial journey because uh, this may be a good time to do it. And then 2005 is when uh, we decided to start QBlocks, and uh, you know, and I think it's been about 15 years since that journey has been uh, going on.
0: 15 years long is a long time, (laughs) yeah. When I was in (laughs) QBlocks, <laughs> we finished six years, and I was thought, oh, it's a six years old company. So I was like, it's an old company, six years, and now it's 15 years old company. So but when you started, when you guys started QBlocks, you could have started any one more infotech in the city. There were a lot of solutions and infotechs in the city and overall India thriving. Everyone was starting IT companies in those days. It was, I think, a golden time to start an IT company because the competition wasn't there and it was a good time. But you started a very beautifully positioned company. I'm sure that evolved as as you started. You, you took one step at a time. You planned. But the final product you had as a company was a company that um, were only, instead of providing umbrella services, you were providing a few services. You only focused right. on e-commerce. Right. Uh, you Mm-hmm. Started as a very, very small company and the hourly rate that you were charging was phenomenally high. I'm not sure how, how you started, but when I was working there, the hourly rate was around $55 an hour for uh, development projects, which was almost okay. double uh, the hourly rate I've seen in most good companies. Not I'm not talking about small companies. Good companies charging $25 an hour and you guys were charging $55 an hour. And I saw a lot of new things. For example, when I came for the interview, I was told there's no sales team. And it was just you. And I wanted to be a part of the sales team. I was lucky to get the opportunity, but I was surprised there's no sales team in the company. So I could see that this company is very unique. And there were two beautiful dogs that I could not find in any company. In those days, it was still common in the Silicon Valley for offices to have dogs, not companies in India, Pets are were not allowed, and smaller details. I'm, I'm telling you as, as an as an employee, a person who was exposed to the company. So, and uh, one of the remarkable things I saw in at QBlocks is the way everyone, especially top management, you guys, and then employees used to treat the the help, the, the office helpers, We had so we had few people there. They were treated with lot of respect, as as much as any employee would get. So. All those things made my experience at QBlocks and when I wanted to leave the company, it was almost like I had no reason to leave the company after working with you for almost two years, one and a half, two years, I had no reason to leave the company. But my impression, I think I digress. What I must say is that the company from the business standpoint was beautifully positioned and you were able to command a very high uh, dollar rate. So... And the last time when we met, you also spoke, when we met at Starbucks, you, you, you shared that you want to position the company further towards, gear, uh, gear towards providing uh, services to environmentally responsible companies. Yeah, so how, how has uh, the positioning, how have you positioned the business from then to today? And how has it played a role to take the company where it is today? I, I
1: get what you're saying. Okay. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your experience. It's great. a long question. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I, uh, I think you ended up saying a lot of things which are, you know, I, I really value and uh, I really appreciate, and it it gives more strength that you know we continue doing what we are doing here. So I think when we started out as well, uh, I think there was um, there was genuinely no we scheme anything. I think we don't as people, three of us, we don't really necessarily take decisions based on, you know, only what's happening in the world outside, you know, that of course we have a ear on the ground, but at the same time, we also want to see what we are comfortable with. I think it just happened that, you know, we were ready to, you know, start with QBlocks and uh, we had some ideas being an iSEC and then having uh, read a lot of different literature and books, etc., we realized that we wanted to build something which a company or a place where there is a very solid work culture. And I think along with work culture, the the second thing that we wanted was a very, very competent team. (laughs) Marriage is what we wanted. And also we were not looking at typically as a business. So the way we set up the entire office and a a working model was that how would we as people want to spend those eight, nine, ten hours that we spend in the office. How should the infrastructure be? Right. It's not like the CEO or the management has a you know very lavish room, and the rest of the team are necessarily not given that kind of uh, infrastructure. So I think the focus was very clear that if we if we build a solid work culture and that clarity was there, and you keep, treat people with respect, and the golden rule that you know you treat people the way you want yourself to be treated. I think if if you if you follow that, then uh, things become easy, and people see that, and you can't fake these things, right? Sometimes yeah, you might have an infrastructure where you're having pool table and, you know, foosball and table tennis. But if you do not even provide your teams the amount of time to actually enjoy those and you're breathing down their neck and you're not really giving them that leeway to, you know, just unwind, it is just it's just PR and marketing. Right? So I think a thought was that, you know, it has to be a very solid work culture which is always going to be work in progress. And also we need to be very confident in what we are doing. So if we go and tell somebody that Cublox is doing e-commerce, Magento development, we're doing design or digital marketing, whatever services we're offering, we need to feel true as a salesperson, right? If, like you rightly said, there was hardly a sales team. It was primarily me. And then now we have another team member. We have a team about 50 people. Now there are only two people who are into business development or finding new relationships. I don't like the word sales, but I think more like, Trying to find, you know, more synergistic clients who we can serve in a way. It's a long way to say the same thing. But maybe he focus always like the sales team does not have a separate target. It's not like, you know, we have a target. Obviously, there is something we're trying to grow. We're trying to uh, reach towards. But it is not disjointed with our delivery team. I think the moment that happens, there was a clarity in all of us. That The moment that will happen where the sales team or the business development team starts getting more work. We are selling a dream to these customers, clients, right? That's what happens in services sale. They can't see an L product. We say, we're going to do a fantastic job with the Magento store. We're going to do a fantastic job with the design. And they believe us. They will believe my word and the word of the other team member. And based on that, they will go ahead and you know, start an engagement. Imagine a scenario where your team is already full with deliveries for the next two months. What kind of output would we end up you know, giving? It would eventually be a failed relationship. Right? because you will either end up asking your teams to stay back longer, they'll have to work weekends because you've already committed, you've got the payment. So I think the moment you get clarity and you you lead your professional life in a way that you want your personal life to be, I think then things start moving in synergy. So that's why anytime we are getting new clients, we are trying to get more work, we are always talking to our you know teams and figuring out what is the capacity? Can we actually do a great job on it? You know, and I think that has allowed us the confidence to uh, charge the hourly rate that we do. So now our hourly rate you know, rate, you know ranges between $40 to $60 an hour. And the only reason we're able to do that while being in India is because we feel that anytime a client uh, engages with us, the entire range of experience that they will get, not only the end product, which of course is an important part, but the way we get that end product done, the communication, the way if at all there is negative feedback or things that we can improve, how do we take that? All those micro interactions end up making that relationship. And if the client feels really great that you know I'm still getting great value and I happily pay probably twice the amount of money for the same quality, then you're I think then then you're doing a good job. I feel then you're doing a good job to your to your craft. So that has been primarily the focus. And I say this often to our team that we want to build Qblocks as a not as an army but as a very specialized team like a crack commando force. People who are very specialized in their work. I, uh, and you know they're doing very very good work. There are very uh, few people who are working there. People who've been selected with a lot of uh, focus on whether they'll be a good match. And then as a result, the output becomes uh, comparable. Then. So I don't know if I answered your question. I just went <laughs> on. A...
0: <laughs> no, you you did answer it. And I think.
1: I mentioned there.
0: You see an animation behind me.
1: Okay, can you hear me?
0: i can. Yeah,
1: i think for us a beachman
0: how am i connected I I can see you, yes can you see me now yeah i okay. can i can so i was saying it's uh, the way you articulated it is it's, it's very good to hear because i see a lot of people who are running their business can you hear me properly
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay so i, I can. see a lot of entrepreneurs, agency owners who are running business and yes, they do have a pool table. They do have a gaming station. They do have few dogs, but as you rightly said, they do not give their people time to, to really play those games or, or just have that their pleasure time at office for them. They are just billable resources. They are making for Can every take So So when you started, how did you uh, get your first few clients? You still cannot hear okay. me?
1: Now I can, yes. Okay. So when we started out earlier about two odd years, we were active on some of these sites like guru.com and Elance. Elance, Elance, yeah. Elance is, I think, up. Elance, in fact, we weren't very active, but guru.com we were really active on. And I think that that was also great experience. You know, that was, our, our conversion rate was fairly high thanks to the fact that there were no cookie cutter responses that we were sending to uh, these in, these inquiries so we kind of spend a lot of time initially to study the requirement check out the website and it was very easy for a potential client on guru when they would see our reply to see that this is different so if they were getting 40 different responses i think our responses were fairly unique we kind of spent that time because we weren't be really doing it in a lot of hurry so initial wait i think about first about two years that was a very good starting point for us to get a few clients in fact, there are some clients that we have from 2006, early 2006 who are still with us and they've grown tremendously, you know, and and that, so that that made it a slightly a little bit easier and once that happened, then there was a lot of repeat work we would get from them. Uh, there were a lot of reference work uh, we would get. As of now, currently the stats are that we get almost about 80% of the work and the clients that we service right now are from references and, uh, you know, Clients who are happy, they say, you know, this is somebody who needs it. And about 20 odd percent is new work that we get from either um, our listings in certain places or we go on conferences and we find new work.
0: Okay. Yeah. I wonder where did guru.com disappear? (laughs)
1: There
0: used to be Elance. It's still there. But yeah, there were a lot of platforms, e and and the same discussion I had with Chubby before when I sp- spoke to her, she also said. And I think maybe not not sure if that is the case with you. It's definitely is the case with me. Working with Chubby, I learned something is that the cookie cutter responses she used to always point me. Cookie, don't send me these responses. Okay, just spend time. And that was my strength: sending people long emails, doing very detailed analysis. It was one one of my strengths. So she said the same thing. She said.
1: I think even people who are applying for jobs or you are trying to engage a new potential customer, it doesn't take too much effort to to have that knowledge and judgment to know that, you know, how will I stand out? For example, you know, you must be getting CVs as well for people who are trying to apply yeah. and you see be attached. <laughs> is this the is this the way you approach your potential job? You know your 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 career. There's not even a motivation letter. There's or you can see that it has been copied from somewhere else, right? Yeah. And the same thing happens when you send an email to a potential client. When they'll know within a matter of few you know uh, sentences, within a matter of few minutes, they'll know. Yeah, this is something which has just been copied and there's nothing. Ge- it's very generic. It's nothing customized to my requirement. And they just switch off yeah. Because they'll then get a sense that if this is how the level of seriousness with which they are approaching the first interaction. I wonder what will happen when, you know, I really commit my money and I'm kind of engaged with it. Yeah, and I... I,
0: I, Every
1: step of the way...
0: uh, Yeah, please go on. I was just
1: saying that, you know, every step of the way, you have to, you know, show that willingness to go the extra mile and it shouldn't be an effort really because you, it, it should ideally uh, be the only way that one knows because if you copy paste then as a result you know your own value inside and then when obviously then you'll be getting paid lesser for it because you're not really sure about your competence and the impact that you will end up making but the moment you put in more time and you know that you are articulating that really well you know uh, you, you can be compensated a lot more than uh, just that
0: yeah, and it's not that it doesn't work I mean it, it works you can send people a cv without a cover letter and get a response or send a cookie cutter uh, message on upwork it might you can get responses you can close yeah, businesses yeah. but don't expect good clients to respond don't expect good companies to respond uh, you put in that kind of effort yeah Absolutely. I agree okay so you Apart from, so you mentioned that you went to IRCE conference. Can you hear me, Pancham? That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> so I was asking you, Pancham, about IRCE conference. You went there. At what point did you, did you had the cash flow to go to the IRCE conference? And I know for a fact that you do go to conferences every now and then. So how, how helpful has attending this conference been to you? And is it really worth your money? Because I, it's, a bit, it's a big financial commitment for any startup, especially agency. If you, let's say, have four or five lakh rupees. If you want to spend that to travel all the way to US or uh, London, I get conference, invitations on conferences all the time. But I just don't feel uh, the confidence that I want to take the risk of going uh, there will I get in the business when I'm getting the business from a website. So how did you decide and does it Does it really help uh, going to these conferences?
1: I think our experience, Pulkit, has been that it is always variable. For example, when we went to Internet Retailer uh, Conference, that was the world's largest e-commerce-focused conference. Uh, that was in San Diego. And we made a major commitment. We were four of us. We set up a booth. Our booth was right in front of Google's booth. In terms of visibility, it would have been perfect. But interestingly, after spending all that money, there was zero conversion from there. We did not get a single client from there. Wow. Uh, we got a lot of, you know... Uh, We got a lot of business cards and uh, a lot of interest, but nothing really eventually converted. On the contrary, there were times where we had not had any booth, but you know, you were just sitting there in between a session at a conference and you were speaking to somebody or you, you know, meeting them at a networking event. Usually conferences, networking event, hoping they have a party or something. And uh, if you uh, are like me, who doesn't enjoy parties, but you force yourself in a way to go there. Right, And then you never know, yeah? we've had clients who we managed to get from such interactions for those four or five minutes. We exchanged cards and uh, there was some kind of a connect. And that eventuated into a long-term business and a relationship. Whereas in cases where we had a massive investment as well, it did not work out. So it's very variable. I think for conferences, anybody who's a startup, I would say that if you're looking at it like this, that I'm going to get, if I'm investing four lakh rupees, I'm going to make, you know, 10 lakh rupees or 20 lakh rupees over time from this. I think that equation may not work. A lot of times uh, people say that it should be like a shotgun approach. You should try and be in as many places as possible, try and network and then commit a budget for about a year's time, identify good conferences. And then when you go to these places, try and speak to as many people and be as present as, as you possibly can be. And I feel along with that, the big reason why, as an entrepreneur, you want to go for conferences is your own personal motivation. Beyond the, beyond the fact that you might get any client, which may or may not happen, but the fact that you feel connected or to the ecosystem, and the fact that you can, you know, actually see these experts out there uh, speaking, and sometimes you realize, oh, hey, well, this is something I already know very well, or oh, this is something that I that I, you know, is totally new. And it might just somehow start a process of thinking where you might say that, you know, in some time I want to be going there and speaking on a certain area of expertise. So I think conferences have multitude of benefits and it again depends on what your objectives are. And I feel that you should have the flexibility to look at it not from a point of view only getting sales and only getting customers because there is always going to be variability there.
0: Yeah, so what I get from it is that I think it's all about building the, the what you just said, building the relationships, initiating relationships that may or may not materialize into business uh, from a good intent. That uh, the intent is to build first relationship, okay. and uh, going to conferences does serve that purpose. Talking about relationships, Pancham, I think it was your wedding, and I saw a client flying from the US to attend your wedding. It, it was your wedding. What was was it of need? Okay.
1: It was my wedding, and there was, I think, somebody in Abhi's wedding as well. Yeah, and there was somebody at Sartek's wedding as well.
0: Yeah, so that's that's unique. I mean, for clients to go and meet their vendors, that is not very common either. Not for any business purpose. Clients do visit for business purpose all the time, but having that relationship, that is also big part of what I think QBlocks is as a company.
1: Absolutely, I, I think we we. That was really something we felt very happy about this the fact that they could come from Chicago and uh, spend those days with us. and we've had a few clients come all the way because then what we tell them is also that you come you've not been to India, you can obviously travel here, take a vacation, and we'll obviously discuss work as well. Yes. So, so when when my wedding was happening, it was uh, and we had a very deep relationship with this client, and uh, it became a perfect opportunity that they could see an Indian wedding. They've kind of mostly seen it in in the movies, if at all they've seen any. And and as, as it, you know, we get a chance to meet with the team as well and see our infrastructure. And then, you know, you you kind of make it uh, very holistic. The whole whole uh, the whole travel can be made uh, multi-dimensional. So there's the Indian wedding, whereas you know meeting your agency and getting to interact with your teams. Probably go from there to Jaipur or to Goa or to other places. So it becomes like a you know completely you know well-rounded break for them as well. So we've been very lucky that ways that you know some of our clients have felt that they
0: can take out their time to
1: actually do this.
0: What do you think is the contributing factor that builds these kind of relationship with the client? Because the client is connected to the company, to the people they're working with, only then they would decide that they want to even make a pleasure trip, see an Indian wedding. So, yeah.
1: I think Pulkit, always with any relationship, whether you're talking about personal relationship or professional relationship, you need to have walked a certain mile with certain amount of distance with that person. They should they should get to know you a, a, a bit more and then as a result decide that this is the investment I want to make. So, you know, I think that is what I think as a company and as people are focused has been that we don't want to have any shallow relationships. It's sort of transactional relationship. I think those things, that energy is, you can see through, you know, and that uh, will never necessarily result in a long lasting relationship where the client is for you as well. And you are there for the client as well, There could be a time where your client is trying to scale up. They may not have the money, but they may not be able to pay you immediately. You know, your invoices are, you know, due for maybe two months or three months but if you've had a relationship with them you have you trust them right you won't blindly trust them as well because if it's a new relationship and they haven't made any payment there is no prior relationship to build on but if you've had a long relationship they understand you you understand them and you know it's not going anywhere this you know so just like with friends or in our personal lives you know we go the extra mile with any individual who we know will be with us same thing happens in business i feel when people try start their careers or start their businesses, it's very important to understand that your business life and your personal life, how you are in your business life and how you're in your personal life, they are congruent. They are not different. So if you are a difficult person in your personal life, you will be a different difficult person as a partner, as a business partner, and even as a as a you know as an agency owner. Right? So these two things are not We have to keep both things business skills develop and focus on personal skills ke upar hum focus on values values. Nah, if you're doing any kind of a work, you know, especially in the kind of work somebody who wants to start, let's say, an agency, right? They, you know, the kind of people you'll deal with, within a matter of 2-3 minutes, they can see through you. Right? These are people who are owners of businesses you're speaking with. They've been in the circus. They've seen the dance. So you can't impress them with an American accent oh. if you're in India. You <laughs> can't change your name to an American name, right? Yeah. So that, you, you have to be, I feel that it's important that they should understand what you're saying. But these bells and whistles aren't the reason why people relationships get, you know, bonds get developed. They, some, the problem is when we try and only focus on this. And I think that's problem with the problem with the culture overall as well. In, 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 in where we are right now where we a lot of external What kind of clothes are you wearing? What kind of a car are you driving? How, how do you look? How do you walk inside? You know, how do you shake hands? These things serve a purpose, but, you know, not really too much beyond the point. Right? So it's important to know that, you know, for example, if I'm going, if I'm called for a formal event and I'm wearing sneakers or chapels and I'm going there, I'm calling for it, right? I, that may not be appropriate. But for me to think that if I wear a nice uh, three-piece suit, everybody would want to do business with me is <laughs> again wrong. right? So it may uh, reduce some friction, but it's not the main reason why people get into relationships, either as people or as
0: agents. I think it's, it's uh, all about being authentic in which I think, Panjum, I have to say I've learned it from you. Before meeting you, I knew that I have to be authentic. I have to be humble and there are smarter people out there. And when I met you, I saw you as a person that, I mean, you are not the smartest, but you still are always comfortable with your limitation, with your strengths and your weaknesses, and you never pretend to be someone else. And the the biggest uh, contrast is I saw, Pancham, and you laugh at it, when I joined QBlocks, I think you were still driving your Hyundai Centro. Right. That was your first car. And I, yeah. I used to come in my Polo, my new Polo. Okay. Right. Right. And you laugh. I, I bought that Polo on an EMI <laughs> to impress a random girl <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> who did not care about which car I drove. <laughs> right,
1: right.
0: And I was still paying EMIs for that car. So that's the kind <laughs> of. No conflict I had because I saw many friends who were driving big cars. So I thought, when I start making money, I want a car. And when I make money, I want uh, better clothes. So there are a lot of things, and I knew that this is not me being authentic. Sure. Okay. It, it doesn't matter what clothes I wear. Like you said, it is important. You should wear clean clothes. It should look clean, cleanly dressed. That is important. Maybe a watch, uh, if, if you like it, but it doesn't give you a pass to success. I can, and what it does, it creates a inner conflict when you don't know what you really want, what makes you happy. So it has been a journey. It was a very interesting time when I met you, when I explored myself, That what I really wanted. We did a lot of activities together, including the morning runs we used to do and the morning sessions when I used to come to you and we, could, we used to talk about random things. So it has been a journey and, and I, and there was same, almost same year when I turned 30 and got married. So it was a very transformative experience for me as a person. That is why I think I recommend a lot of people uh, to go, if they're looking for a job, I tell them just go to work, go and try your, try getting a job at Qblocks if you can, because it's very transformational when you work with like what What's happening with, uh, blocks is that there are many like-minded people who are attracted more like-minded open people so it becomes like an environment where you can open yourself as a person you, you, you can be vulnerable you can share your weaknesses and nobody is going to judge you which is at least what i experienced when i was working there right, right. So oh, thank you so
1: much yeah i think uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you you felt that way and you know, I, I still, I definitely remember those times when we, you know, had those long interactions and discussions and yeah, so there are ways that, you know, we learn from each other. It's not that uh, I have learned everything or I have arrived or I'm completely sorted. There's always work in progress. You're always trying to yeah. get better as a person and, and and see that, you know, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. Right. And I think always re- to remember the end there. Yeah. If you look at, let's say, the top regrets of people who are in having terminal illness and they're about to die, that, I want to spend, I want to make more money. I want to, I wish I could have, you know, spent more hours at work. I, so there, if you, you know, there's interesting uh, articles on it and there are books as well on it. If you read that, consistently that is what people have kind of felt, right? How inform professional or personal life? What is the benefit or I realize, kare, oh God, this is all wrong, man. You know, I wish I'd kind of spend more time with my uh, with my parents, or I wish I was a better human being. I wish I wasn't an asshole. I wish I was, uh, you know, uh, somebody who was working well with people. And I, I wish I had taken more risks. I, I wish I had. I was more happy generally. I wish I was more giving. We can do those things corporate life You know, for that you don't have to be a saint and go to the you know give up everything. I firmly believe that you can lead your business life in a way which is congruent with these age-old, age-old principles and morals. And actually things in the long run that work are the ones which are based on that. For example, there's so many examples. Look at Kingfisher, for example, right? Classic example when this company and what uh, Vijay Malaya stood for, right? And I know them only from a distance, you know, all flamboyants, you know, you know, Big aircrafts and living that life and for certain people who wouldn't perhaps who are not very grounded themselves and they are still chasing life was attractive hai, right? but look at the stress that they would have right yeah. look at the amount of tension they would have they would be caught up in so many other you know uh, uh, issues which are just avoidable. And then on the other side is somebody like Narayan Murthy. Right? For me, these are two very contrasting uh, examples of people who were running businesses. And I always somehow feel from, from my heart getting gravitated to somebody like Narayan Murthy and the way he and his family has led. Right? And I'm not putting them on a pedestal, neither of them. And I'm not giving any judgment, but I'm saying that I feel that such people, they, they, they give more value. They give more to the, com- the country, the community and they lead a simple life and they are you know during the last 20-30 years of their lives probably they'll be happy looking back and saying that you know what I led my life well I've kind of influenced people in a certain way to lead a better life I've, I've, I've given back to the community it's not about take 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 you know just grow, grow yourself and you know you know, we are here to give back in fact that's true living when you give back and then on top of it, even if you're in business, even if you're not an NGO, you know, for example, that's how we try and approach our work at QBlocks, and I feel that we try and do that, is that you always keep reminding yourself, how can I serve, how may I serve, how may I serve. So if every interaction you're doing, when you're interacting with a client, trying to deliver a two-hour job they have given us, or a six-month project, if you're approaching it with that how, and you're understanding that they have selected you out of probably 40 other companies they had a choice to go to, right? And I need to be doing justice to that, you know, faith that they have in us. Right? If everybody in our team is able to understand that and they are able to deliver, like we'll be a success. Our hourly rate charged, the money will follow on its own. but this is usually a difficult task, and that is why usually we uh, spend a lot of time in trying to hire the right kind of people. Right? We hire based on certain things which are important to us, and. Uh, and that makes the journey easier. Then there are, less, there are less ruffling of feathers when you work with such people.
0: Yeah, I think it's, it's the challenging part is, first of all, the, the founding members, the, the leaders, the leadership to be honest, honest people, uh, not honest to themselves. And then making sure that honesty flows through the team so that they are honest when they are serving the clients. And like you rightly said, it can, you cannot teach honesty. You can only teach it by example. You cannot just tell people, you have to be honest. You have to do that. that has reflect well in your action And this not a very simple thing to do. The more bigger the company grows, the more hierarchy there is. You are scared that what, what can a repercussion of this information be if it gets leaked it can be good it can be bad bad but you have to think from all those angles but the answer usually i feel is in the shorter run it might it might hurt you but in the longer run it will always uh, pay to be honest to the team to the clients be forthright with people it helps it's something i am trying to work on in my relationships and in also in professional relationships try to be more forthright even if it's not a very comfortable truth to tell people I still try to tell it to people, and I feel for a person like me, it's like building a muscle. It doesn't come very automatically. I am a very honest person within myself that I think I know hundred percent. But to people, especially I care for, that I don't want them to feel bad or think bad about me. I don't want them to go through any pain because of me. This is where the challenge is, and I think the same problem as a CEO or founder of a company you face when. You want to be honest, but you also don't want to pay the price for the honesty in the shorter run.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: One of the examples, Pancham, you gave me last time when you met and I, I love that example. I, I hope you can share it with people. The way you, and I asked you, how do you, do you, do you ever get, does Q blocks ever get audited by government authorities and how do you handle that? And, and you gave me a recent example of some government officials who came to the office and they yeah. They told you that there is something that you did not do. Can you tell that story, please?
1: Yeah, I think I think it also it has always been that we want to do the right thing. Yeah. There is there is no uh, shortcut, and our accounts team has been told very clearly that we want to ensure that we are compliant in any ways possible. We're not trying to save money in any way, which is not right because that will always come back to haunt you and, and and you know bite you so then i think this was some years back there was something to do with some service tax department or whatever and they felt that you know when they audited the work they said that you know there was some service tax which had to be deposited wasn't deposited and this was during the time when perhaps we were a smaller company and we did not have the uh, right auditors and you know and they said this is what is due and we said that, yeah, that's fine. You can come and, you know, we'll give you all the cooperation required from our side to be in the office, see the work, and we're not trying to find that, you know, that if the amount was, let's say, the amount was 5 lakh rupees or 6 lakh rupees. So if, is hot I thing came from the first time, which which could be one smart way people think yeah, people say
0: way. that we'll pay you 10 percent of the you uh, uh, standing it's speech.
1: very it's all it's all basically digging your own grave in a way if you do anything wrong it will always always come back to haunt you at some time or the other and this was like a genuine we getting blank-sided because our you know we couldn't find out carry this was a service tax or whatever was due correctly to the government And then they they were here. We gave them all the cooperation. We said, everything is open. They would come down, have lunch. The two auditors would come and have lunch. They would see the work culture that we had. We said, everything is right. From our side, you have all the cooperation. Let us know the amount that is due and we will make sure that we, uh, you know, pay that amount. And later on, I think the good part was when we did pay the amount because there was no reason to, you know, not pay that amount from our side or find another way. That reputation kind of built. And when somebody from our team ended up actually going to the department, these auditors were uh, sharing with the other inspectors that this is one company where we felt that we, we haven't really met somebody as honest as them. Which felt really good. Which felt like, you know, if you you Although it was objective. And that. I think when people try and see that, you know, whether... These guys are wanting to do the right thing or the wrong thing. If you're trying to do the wrong thing, that will take you down a rabbit hole and there will be other issues and there will be problems that will come down. But if you're very clear and you say, that, oh, this was a genuine mistake, this got overlooked by us, we will make sure that we pay the amount, whatever is due, whatever is the legit overall government penalty because of the delay. We are open to paying that. There are no two ways about it and we'll give you all the support. That I think went a long way for us and I think that's how we've kind of tried to uh, conduct ourselves because it uh, emanates from the belief that if you do the right thing, the right thing will only happen to
0: Yeah, the norm, I, I can tell you what the norm is. The, uh, when these people come for the audit and they also know that we will give them an outstanding that you owe us let's say 5 lakh rupees, pays us like 50,000 rupees, we'll do the settlement. Otherwise, you'll have right. to pay 5 lakh rupees. So that's what they, the norm out there is. Yeah. So it was but you difficult. know, what it was made of norm, it a mistake.
1: I feel a whether in terms of, you know, being internally not doing the calculation correctly, you know, or our auditor didn't do it properly. And we realized that, oh, there were minor points which were, should have been, uh, which was due actually. So it is wrong. So when you realize and it is brought to your notice that this is something which was due, then you say, Yeah, this is wrong. Then we'll reduce our other expenses, we'll reduce our salaries as directors, but we'll make sure that this due is there is paid off. You know, that's that's the only way out.
0: Okay. This brings me to my next question, Pancho. When I was working with you, I had the opportunity to and it, it comes from the same theme, uh, same discussion. So when I'm talking to you and you answering those questions, I see a pattern. So when we, when I used to be with you in these interviews, when we used to ask, or uh, interview people for SEO, position of SEO or programming and whatever, there's one question I always saw you asking people. And the question was, out of scale of 10, how much do you rate your SEO skills or your writing skills or your sales skills, your um, XYZ skills? And what I saw is that the answer that you were looking for was always six or seven. And you were not looking for answers of nine indefinitely, not of 10. Right. And do you still ask that question when people come? Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not a scientific question really. It doesn't, it's also giving the opportunity to the other person to be honest in saying, and we also want to see whether the person has a fair degree of self-assessment. Right? So eight is a very safe number. Right. So we always come back and say, you know what, imagine 10 is like God level the world's best SEO person. right? And if somebody says, you know, nine, that means that there is hardly any improvement required and you know, you're almost amongst the world's top people. So uh, I think a lot of times it gives us a sense about where is the, where does the person think they, he or she is and what is the target that the person is going in for. So if a person in our assessment during the interview, you realize the person's really good, but the person has that, you know, clarity of thought to say that I'm still at six because I have a long way to go. So for me, that is an indication. That's not the only indication, but it's a good indication to know that uh, this person has a good self-awareness and is wanting to grow. Because we're not going to hire the person who says I'm nine out of ten, right? So it's uh, we will still assess whether the person is really going to be nine out of ten or not. But we're trying to find that match and how the person is processing that question, right? And <laughs> little bit.
0: Yeah. I do love that question. And yeah, I think when you asked me that question, I inevitably said six or something, even though maybe you asked me about my SEO skills. I was never an SEO, but I said six. I I did a lot of research having worked with Arthur and done a lot of research and writing more SEO I did new, but I I think that's where I saw, maybe you saw the fit. I have always been a learner and I was very. Really, it makes me nervous to say I'm nine or 10 because I know them much more smarter people than me I can't even compare to them so yeah I love that question okay another thing you told me panjum and I keep going back to things that you told me <laughs> feel free to change your mind if you have to <laughs> um, one discussion we had was about decision making and I think it happened around those times when I bought a property I shared with you that I've bought a property, and we were talking about you. You asked me, "How did you make that decision to buy this property? How how did you know?" And we were talking about decision making. I was telling you, "I like this and that." I was trying to justify my decision. By the way, that decision was terrible. That property did not give me any return. It was what terrible decision. But I was trying to justify you that it's a smart decision. But one thing you told me then is um, that you make a decision when you make a decision. You go by your gut. If you feel nervous about the decision, or when someone uh, is you feel is forcing you to make a decision, you inevitably say no. If you're in a hurry, it doesn't matter how golden or shining a thing might look like, you inevitably say no. That's what you told me. So I do see that you have a framework to make decisions in your life. So, how has that evolved in the last 7-8 years since we had this discussion and what is your current framework for making decisions?
1: Yeah, that's a good question, Pulkit. I think multiple uh, things that go behind it. Number one is that I, I read it somewhere and I, I firmly believe in it as well that if you are confused, it's a sign maybe from the... Can you hear me, Pulkit?
0: Yes, yes, I can.
1: Yeah. So, if you're confused or you feel that somebody's trying to rush you in, you will be able to say, you know what, back off or you don't get pressurized into taking a decision if you know yourself really well, right? And I think it, when I read it somewhere in a book where they said that your, your gut if you or your intuition, if you haven't really about it too much, if you've kind of kept that connection alive, will always tell you something and you know whatever your mind may tell you, somebody is giving you input, this place is great, or you know, But in the heart of art, you're feeling that there is something is Right? And I think if you if you maintain that connect with your intuition and you're able to then voice it out by saying, you know what, at this point in time I think that I'm I don't have all the data. I need to take some more time. Because eventually you upcuper it. I think Kafi Hatha Kaivarab your time lena whether it is a decision about property and there will always be external pressures. If you know what this property is gonna go away, there are twenty people more asking. Mm-hmm. You know, these are all external pressures that are created to try and rush you into doing something in a in a way. If you think about it, if you to it, it becomes stronger and it doesn't get uh, kind of uh, you know, uh, muted out over time, and that I believe is is somehow a divine voice. Which, if you listen to, and you realize that it is an indication that I don't have all the data and I am a bit confused. So I need to take more time. So one is that I, I feel that anytime there is an something in my heart, even if let's say the apparent data in front of me, let's say I'm interviewing somebody and that person is saying all the right answers. Right. Uh, but in the heart of heart I feel that there has been something I have been able to assess about this person, that this person may not be a right fit for us or this client may not be a right fit for us and I have that uh, resolve to let go of this opportunity that this great skilled person will be able to join my company and be productive from day one I am able to let go of that opportunity and listen to my intuition I, I think it usually has become has come out really well. Uh, so I think one is that. I think intuition and there is something telling you inside. I think if you uh, stop listening to it, but the moment you listen to it, you invariably are not wrong. It is a good time to take a pause and say, you know what, I need a little bit more time. Don't rush into something. And I think that has helped me really well. Second is anytime I take a decision, it's the golden rule there. How, you know, to to, whether it is about treating people in some way, it is always from that point of view that I want to be treated the same way. If how do you want to treat the golden rule is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So agar situation I try and say that if this is the same thing happening to me, would it be correct? And it is independent of whether the other person will appreciate that or not. So I'm not waiting for the other person to say, you know what, you are very honest and thank you very much for not really firing me or, you know, thank you so much for taking this decision. It seems like I'm not waiting for a medal from that person. That medal is already inside me. Right? At the night when I sleep and I feel my conscience is clear and I think that decision, that micro decision, that small decision was in in sync with my value system. And uh, then I feel happier. So I think primarily that these two are the driving factors. And third is always, you know, uh, when you get rushed, Keep in mind, we'll ask this question whether this will matter in 10 years. If I, you know, value will it really matter? Sometimes we put things out of proportion, whether these is, uh, are issues with relationships or how somebody's treated you, somebody said something to you, right? Uh, or somebody's unfair with you. I think it's important to keep your eye on the ball and keep moving forward without really getting mired in you know, a lot of muck. So if you, uh, tell yourself whether this will matter in 10 years time. It gives a lot of perspective. It puts more distance between that situation and uh, how you should react.
0: Yeah. So, so the, I, I love that thought, that idea that you have to listen to your gut, that inner voice. And the more you listen to it, the more louder it become. And if you stop listening to it, it'll, you will not be able to listen it. And, 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 it's challenging because there's a lot of noise inside. Everyone does a lot of self-talk. Within me, there's a lot of self-talk happening all the time. All of us. And Absolutely. from that self-talk to filter out that noise and to really listen to my inner voice, what do I really want? And like you said, will it really matter in next 10 years? We make wrong decisions. And then we, yeah, I, I think having, the other thing, pancham what I'm trying to work on these days is trying to create rules in my life instead of every time I, I have to, for example, waking up early in the morning at five, uh, that's what I'm working on. So I don't want to justify the decision. I don't need any, any, any validation or any data to to make that decision or sleeping, um, uh, sleeping at 10, that decision, those decisions that I can put into rules, I, and for example, something as basic as giving people, giving elders unconditional respect. It doesn't matter what they say, you have to respect them. What they say or do, you have to respect them. So I feel if we can create rules as parents, we can create rules as individuals, we can take a lot of decision-making out of the way. When you know that this is my what my value system is, this is what how I want to live my life. And these are the, and if we start small, right now, the list I'm working on is, is eight rules that I've created for myself. I want to stick to these. I keep going back to them because uh, otherwise, what happens is I am not a very. Again, this is some. This comes back to uh, the way I've been raised. I'm not very disciplined in sticking to things. I come up with an idea, I make a rule, then I break it. For example, not having sugar, avoiding mm-hmm. sugar. I'll give myself ten reasons to okay. I'll. Right. Bite ले and then what happens is you have one bite of chocolate, it will lead to the second bite, and then you to right, so, right, right. it. So it always comes down to setting the rules in the life and being jihadi about it. I think that's the right way. You have to be cutter. People are uh, very cutter with their religious thoughts, but they are not very cutter with their daily practices. And that's what I'm trying to learn from these religious extremists. They don't think They logical thing. So once you set rules, it always helps, especially like a person like me. If I just take decision making out of the way altogether and just say, I think that has helped, but the inner voice, I, I like, I like that idea.
1: And I think also, Pulkit, if I were to add to it, I've heard something This was on Rich Roll's podcast. Uh, somebody who I listen to very uh, intently. Which um, podcast? Rich Roll. Rich Roll. yeah, yeah,
0: Rich
1: Roll. Yeah. So he's a, he's a vegan ultra marathon legend in a way, and he has a huge podcast and a lot of interesting topics. So I listen to podcasts a lot. That's that's my area of recharging, learning, etc. So I like that statement a lot, which says, mood follows action. Sometimes we feel that we will do something and when we feel, you know, the urge, but I try and remind myself when I'm guilty of not following it all the time, it's always work in progress. But anytime I feel that, you know, I'm lagging somewhere, you know, I'm not able to take that action. You know, I'm not being a true karma yogi. I'm not do so, remind you that the mood is going to follow action. First, you have to take an action, whether it is with your health, whether you want to say that, you know, I really want to start running. And you you understand that you have to first take the action and the mood, which is the runner's high, which is feeling great, is going to follow that. You know, whether it is starting a podcast, right? It was always going to be okay, red carpet, hoega. you will feel motivated all the time, you will be in your best element to give an interview or take an interview or to speak at some point in time. There will be other pressures. But when you think this is important, you say, you know what, the mood is gonna follow the action. So I'll I'll take that action first. I'll take that first one because other time the first eight, those steps, or if suddenly then it starts becoming a vibe. Slowly, slowly starts things start happening. It's such a good reminder, right? It's such a good reminder to start good habits. And if for you, what works is that you know you will you know be cutter about a few things. I try and do the same thing. You know, so I was I I have a sweet tooth. I really enjoy uh, sweets. Very and then uh, there was a time where that I decided yeah, I'll be off sugar and I'll be off caffeine for a year. Or And then I defined it that you know, if there's any pressure or a situation where I might be able to offend somebody. I might take it, but it will not break my fast. So I will do a one-year fast, but I had caveat of these situations oh. where, uh, you know, if I, even if I have to eat it. And then, so what works for me is that, you know, in my heart of heart, I take that time. I don't take that uh, decision very in a rush, but I take my time. I uh, delve over it for some time. And then I say, you know what? This is important for me. And now what I'm doing is that I am, in my heart of heart, Sakshi maan ke Bhagwan ko yeah, jo bhi a higher power, whatever you believe in, main ye kasam ki ye, main And sometimes you may falter in it as well. That somehow helps me. And then what happens is the moment you do it for three, four, five days, you realize that it's easy. Ho gaya hai, right? For example, today I don't eat uh, anything after uh, 5 p.m. or uh, 6 p.m., right? So, I'm trying to, that's a different conversation, trying to do, try and restrict it eating uh, and, and have a weekly fast, 24-hour water fast, etc. So, habits, when I decide, yeah, I'll do it for a shorter period of time, let's say I'll do it for three-month period. So, as a result, you always know that you can, give it, there's an end site. It's not something you're deciding for the rest of your life. Okay? But you know People leave such habits when they think that, you know what, there's no end to it. do I need to do it for the rest of my life. But if you do it in like smaller pieces and chunks, it's easy and then in your memory, you remember how happy and healthy you felt when you actually did not have it. So you then you you delve into those memory banks. Next time you want to you know get into that phase again, you, know, you want to be off sugar or you want to be off you know caffeine or whatever.
0: I completely agree. The step of really pondering and taking your time to to tell your brain why are you doing this, telling the why. And In that information should really settle down. Should have the context that why is very important. And when we do that, for example, the same thing, Manjum, I'm I'm doing these days the intermittent fasting. I've been trying for almost now 15 days. I try to have my uh, dinner by eight, and next day I have my lunch around one or two. I'll have my lunch, and Mondays I don't eat anything. I I try to have that water fast what you're saying and when i when i did it for the first time i was able to do it pancham i've done it now into fourth week now i've been doing able to do it because i i had that data that after i might feel hungry after three four hours but the hunger curve is not going like this i'll feel hungry if i don't feed myself my body will start using glucose and then hunger will uh go down and when my body doesn't get any food, it'll go into ketosis and it'll know that I have to re- use that that body fat and I'll not feel hungry. So it's not like this curve because I used to look at Anna hazare when I was a teas than bad. So make it's technically possible hai. people can fast, <laughs> they can they can when, when I had the data point, it was uh, easier for me to make that decision because I had the context
1: who if they decided on something they would kind of stick to it, right? And that what does is that it, it allows us that information and in our mind and motivates in some way. You know, there are different things that work for you, which, which are important. And it's important to keep, as long as those things are making you, whatever you're deciding is taking you to the positive direction, improving you as a person, you know, and is not causing harm to anybody. Then um, find whatever it, you know, join an online course, commit socially, download an app, you know or, or or be quiet about it completely and and, and find, for example, what I do is time I do for fast, longer fast, like a three day fast or a five day water fast. So as the body is changing different things, I listen to my old podcasts about fasting, right as to hai, right this is what is happening. So that keeps the motivation alive to continue doing it and that data informs your and makes it easier to kind of uh,
0: see through it. Give them so, five uh, days uh, water fasting up my career
1: Yeah, five days I've done. That's the longest I've done.
0: Uh, so, this is what I want to discuss with you when we talk <laughs> again. For <laughs> a long discussion, I'll we'll also gather some data about it. But there's something I'm experimenting with. i really curious to learn about it. Ach, a bunch of, I think it's been a long we've been on the call for a while. I'll try to wrap this in 15 20 minutes if that's okay with you. Okay.
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: You're not in a hurry, right? No, so, I'm so not. Ready. Take care. Take care. I want to talk to you about negative emotions. Uh, something that I experience everyone experiences from time to time. Mm-hmm. A lot of shit is, is cooking in our brain and we don't know about it. And it's I think everybody experiences it as much as I want to believe that you don't experience negative emotions. I'm sure inside you do deal with some negative emotions now and then. So I want to pick your brain on how do you deal with some negative emotions such as as S something is like insult when someone insults you. And the reason I'm asking you this is because this has been my area of research in the last few years. I think, think and the answer I got was from reading some stoic books. Sorry, I'm, I'm not going to answer this question. I want you, I want to pick your brain. How do you deal with insult when someone insults you or you say something that you don't like?
1: Yeah, I think this again goes back to reading stuff about it because it's always work in progress, really. If somebody says something to your to your face and something which hurts you, so I try and not react. I, I think that is the first thing. That I don't necessarily try and have a immediate reaction. Right. I love what Stephen Kobe had mentioned in Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, that between the stimulus and a response, man has a choice. So you have to remind yourself, if instinctively, if I don't have control over my emotions, it'll be, oh, bhi Right? That is how generally you get triggered. Mm. But the moment you do that, I think you have to remind yourself that you're giving up power on your own self. Now, and, and this all happens within a matter of microseconds. And the more you do it, the better you become as people. You won't be... Uh, you know, you won't be triggered, you won't be that angry person who's constantly fighting with people on the streets or you know when you're driving and you know you're always in that anger because somebody cut you off in a wrong mm-hmm. way, etc. Which is very, very common. So I think whoever insult karta mujulaka remind karta hun, obviously there is a immediately when somebody says something to you, you feel a surge of energy, right? Which is either mostly negative, right? Mm-hmm. So I try and let it I try and create more distance and time between my reaction to it, and uh, you know, the starting of that emotion. And then I think in my mind I try and say that what I learned from Dr. Wayne Dyer, one on I think I would say I haven't met him, but he's been almost like my spiritual guru as well, and amazing books. He says that if you if somebody gives you some tells you something like an insult or uh, anything which is negative, if you say that you are right or you are wrong, you get trapped into it. But if you say you may be right, or in your mind you say that you may be right. You you could be right, you could be wrong. If somebody says, you know what, you're a you're a bad boss or you're a bad human being. Right? <laughs> and if I say yeah you may be right. Maybe I am. In your eyes, maybe I am. Maybe I've done something which has allowed you or made you, you know, feel that trigger because you don't know me. If there's a stranger who because of the maybe uh, something I did he or she reacts in a certain way. He or she does not know me as a person in totality. You know, what do I stand for? Or whether I am a, you know, when being person or not. But maybe in that brief two, three seconds, something of my body language or something that I did made that person react in a certain way. Right? So, unka context is only two, three, five seconds. On which basis, they have said something. So, how can I say that it's wrong? It may be that in their eyes, it's okay. So, you know, you try and tell yourself, yeah, you may be right. And then I'll have to see that whether that actually is true or not. So I think trying, if I try and uh, increase the gap between my reaction and I say that I have a choice to react or consciously choose what I want to say back. You know, Again, it's a difficult task. I'm not saying that, you know, I've reached there or I'm trying to preach from a higher ground. But I know that in my mind that that is the right way to do. And I try and Try and follow that uh, anyway, anytime I am uh, encountered with that situation. Thankfully, there are not too many of those. But whenever they are there, yeah.
0: You know, they're, as we grow, I think what yeah. I learned around my twenties, my early thirties, that I have to get rid of conflictive people around me, the people who are source of such conflicts, who are constantly finding themselves in conflict. And there's always a pattern in such people. If I try to just stay away from them as much as as much as I can. That really minimizes all those conflicts within my life. I think that is the easiest way. And like you rightly said, this still happens. And I don't know what is the right answer to it. When you're driving, for example, the example you just gave, somebody who's just uh, passing you, doesn't like the way you're driving and instantly judges you're driving and just curses you on the way. And he's gone, right. you're already gone. By the time you, you process that information that he's just cursed yeah. me. He's already a kilometer away. Now you have the choice. You can turn the wheel, fetch him, get into a fight. What Just he would want. The people who do that, they, they exactly want that. They want these things in their life. But again, we have to be intelligent enough, I think. And it does require some introspection and having at least the awareness that these things can happen. And when these things happen, how do I react? Absolutely. So,
1: yep. Very well said. I think we shouldn't be carrying this as well, right? Who told him that his life is going on and that's what he was thinking today. And that's a difficult thing. Sometimes, you know, when somebody might say something which genuinely may hurt you, but I think uh, it's important to, uh, like you said, right? Sometimes you have to stand up and sometimes you have to let go. This is good judgment of where you stand up and where you have to let go. Life a good judgment in yes. every situation in which someone comes in art of living as well that you have what is your good judgment and what you are trying to do and also sometimes you know you have to if you are open ended uh, if it's happening too often to you if people are insulting you then it's an important point to take a pause here maybe I am doing something
0: <confrance> <in detail.
1: communkick> <laughs> right sometimes Dá- you have to say something something is wrong sometimes you mm-hmm. have to say
0: something is <laughs> wrong so you have to <laughs> not just
1: <laughs> then you know ask your friends ask somebody you know what you know I want to have a very open conversation You know, and I want to understand that am I like this and right. it's important to be self aware and then say yeah I'm a short tempered person or maybe you know then do I want to change it then that can lead to a series of steps if you're open to it and you want to kind of at least be self aware and then deal with it yeah you can just be close ended and you'll always think you ho raha hai, ke, you know why do i get fired from all the companies why do i find all the wrong people why do people keep you know making fun of me or whatever is happening if it is happening too often maybe there is something that you need to do something that you need to
0: i think that that is a recipe for becoming a bitter person when you keep absorbing sure. this negative energy and before we you know we are bitter as a person it's
1: important to have that judgment to know if you are saying you are or your personality it's how your make is right there are some people who might get into depression just because two people have told them that, you know, you're not a good person. Really. And you know, or whatever, they might just tell you.
0: Hey guys, before you sign off, I wanted to make a request. If you enjoyed listening to this episode, please don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you're listening to this. Leave a review if you can. I love reading what you guys have to say about my content. I would also encourage you to go and check out my blog www.pullkit.org for more stories interviews and my monologues it's my sincere hope that my content helps you move closer to your goals and most importantly be more present and happy